Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We are in the beginning, fifth week or so of the Sermon on the Mount, a series which we will be in for many, many months to come. And today on this fourth Sunday of Easter, we are looking at the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. They shall receive mercy. Here now as I read all of the Beatitudes, beginning at Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I think it's important to say at the beginning of each of these sermons on the Beatitudes that these attributes, these characteristics that Jesus is preaching are not characteristics or attributes that are reserved for a select few people who take Christ and Christianity seriously. This is not the luxury version of those who are really faithful. This is the list of characteristics that Christ gave his people that are to be normative for all Christians. And when they're not normative, that means something is disconnected in us. So this is not a list where you can look at it as a menu and say, I'm okay with that one. I'm pretty good at this one. I'm not very good at that one, but that's okay because these others are fine. This is a list that describes what is to be inside a follower of Christ. So what comes out is the reality of who we are. And these are not things that we can hear and say, I'm just going to now go in my own flesh and be better at meekness or be better at mercy or be better at peace. These are things that are much deeper and they actually are far more transformational, radical even, than what we would at first believe. Christ, who is the king, ushering in his kingdom, gives a list of things that are so different than the way we naturally would think and certainly the way the world thinks. My favorite commentary on this series, there are many, but Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is his work just on these three chapters of Matthew. And he speaks at the beginning of each chapter about the very thing that I am saying, that these characteristics, they're either in us or they're not. And that's why each of them is so searching. Here's what he writes. That is why these beatitudes are so searching. That means they invite us to reflect. He says, they tell us in effect that as we live our ordinary lives, we are declaring all the time exactly what we are. So if you're a person that shows mercy, it's because of that's who you are, and we can see it. 
If you're a perse- person who's not merciful, that is who you are, and we can see it. He goes on to say, the whole of our life is an expression and a proclamation of what we really are. And as we confront a list like this, or as we look at this extraordinary portrait of the Christian drawn by our Lord, we are forced to look at ourselves and examine ourselves and ask ourselves these questions. And today, the particular question is, are we merciful? Well, the only way we can answer that question is if we understand what Jesus meant by mercy, what he meant by being merciful. Each Sunday as we've unpacked these, it's our desire to look at what the word or the characteristic, the beatitude that Jesus mentions and understand what it is and what it isn't and then answer the question, how do we become the people he's calling us to be? One of the dynamics of the word mercy is it's something we say all the time. I'm not sure how many times we've already heard it in the service, but it's been a bunch and we're gonna end with a song about how his mercy is more. So you're gonna hear it more and more, but what does it mean? Sometimes we confuse it with the word grace. And these are church words, religious words, but they're biblical words. They're really important words. We need to know what they mean. So let's talk about grace for a minute. Grace really is looking at the, the whole of sin. It is especially associated with mankind and their sins. Mercy is especially associated with the misery of sin, the consequences of sin. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward undeserving sinners. Mercy is God's decision not to pour out his wrath on us. Grace deals with sin as a whole. Mercy deals with the miserable consequences of sin. So they're different. They're certainly connected. They're siblings. Maybe you can say it this way. You've probably heard this before. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. Paul, I mean, Bill mentioned it. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, by his grace, those are significant things. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. The time in my life when I first understood this wasn't in any connection to these words, but it was in connection to me and my mother. I was in fourth grade, Mrs. Prentice's class. I've told you before that I was a challenging child. I have a lot of energy, and I had more back then, and my energy would know no bounds. The school was so concerned with my behavior that they asked my mother to come on to the school staff. So my mom was a playground aide. That meant at every recess, I would see my mom. She was meant to be essentially a bouncer to control me during recess. I didn't really know that at the time. My mom and dad really didn't care very much about my grades. My grades were fine, A's and B's almost always. Report card would come home, and you would carry your report card home back then, and the very first page they would turn to would be the very back. And what were they looking at? Conduct, citizenship maybe it was called. Well, Mrs. Prentice, in the middle of winter, at the end of that nine weeks, gave me a U. Yeah, those laughing know what that means. U meant unsatisfactory. 
It's hard to change a U to something else. It was written in pen, so I took it home. When I got home, my mom said what many moms have said over the years, you just wait till your father gets home. And I did. Those were long hours. He didn't get home till late. And when he got home, it was a rough night and a rough day the next day. It was not acceptable. So the next nine weeks comes to an end. I received my report card from Mrs. Prentice. I quickly turned to the back page, and there was an S minus. Now, some of you are going, you improved. And I did. I went from a U to an S minus. But I walked up to her desk, and I just looked at her, and she looked up at me, and I shook my head. And she knew what I meant. I can't take this home. No words were exchanged, but what she was saying is, this is what you deserve. I can't take this home. Now, I could have done what she did, but I didn't because she did it. She took her pen. She looked at me, making sure I understood, and she drew a vertical line through the minus. S plus. Well, that was a lie. <laughs> but I wasn't going to get in trouble. Instead of my mom saying, you just wait till your dad gets home, I could say, just wait till dad gets home. I am an S plus. I knew then, without the word grace or mercy, that that's what she showed me. And you know what happened? My behavior changed. I respected her. I'm going to do what she wants me to do. Grace and mercy are the great motivators of life in Christ. And when Jesus gives us each of these beatitudes, he is not giving, giving us the option to say, I don't like that one. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to be merciful, so I'm not going to be merciful. Now, it's not easy. He doesn't say it's easy. In fact, it's going to be very hard. But in each case, he says, blessed is the one who is merciful. Blessed is the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. So the blessings are coming from God as we see the only one who can make us righteous, as you heard beautifully last week. So what does this look like for us? This morning, I had to land the plane about halfway through the sermon. So what this means is we're going to be in this verse for two weeks. The first part is focusing on compassion towards those who are suffering. And next week, we'll be focusing on how do we forgive others, particularly those who've sinned against us. And here's why. When those who were on that mountainside with Jesus heard these beatitudes, when Jesus sat down and began to teach them, he opened his mouth. God is opening his mouth and said, blessed. They would have understood the word mercy to mean compassion. And they would have understood the word to mean not just a feeling of compassion, a sorrow, a pity, but it would be something that's matched with action. So you and I can feel sad about a situation where we see someone in misery because of sin, sin done to them or by them or just living in a sinful world, but that's not mercy. Mercy is pity plus action. It is us seeing a need, determining whether we have the ability to do anything about it and whether we have the will to do something about it. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jesus, who gave this command, this statement, this exhortation, this encouragement, how he practiced what he preached with perfection. 
meeting the needs of those who were desperately miserable because of sin. Now, in order to follow along, I want you to open your Bible or the Blue Pew Bible that's in front of you. And if you didn't bring yours today and you're in the habit of not bringing it, I would bring it. We're gonna be moving through a lot of scripture over the next several months as we unpack this. Not staying just here, but looking at other parts. But I don't wanna go very far today. I just simply wanna go to Matthew chapter eight and Matthew chapter nine. And here's why. Jesus gave these instructions. The whole sermon doesn't take very long to read. It's Matthew five, six, and seven. He ends by talking about building your house on the rock, the wise versus the foolish builder. But we're in the Beatitudes, the beginning part of the sermon. And when Jesus said the things he said in these Beatitudes, people would have been shocked. Blessed means happy. It's not a shallow happiness. It's a rich, rich joy. They would have been shocked. Nobody taught this way. And so when he comes to a verse like this and says, blessed are the merciful, they would have remembered that. They would have remembered as they looked around, even those in the crowds with them who were suffering, that those who are followers of Christ should show mercy. They shouldn't just feel compassion. They should do something with the compassion. That's merciful. So what I want you to see as we scan through Matthew 8 and 9, both those chapters, is how Jesus immediately moves in the ministry of mercy. How Matthew, who wrote this gospel, was carried along by the Holy Spirit to tell us these stories, showing us how Jesus practiced what he preached. So look with me at chapter eight, verse one. When he, that's Jesus, came down from the mountain, in other words, when he was finished with his sermon and came down from the mountain, it says, great crowds followed him. We don't know exactly how large the crowd was at this setting, but we know it wasn't uncommon for there to be 5,000 or 4,000 men present, plus women and children. So massive crowds followed Jesus. And in those crowds were people who were possessed by demons, people who were oppressed by demons, people who were blind and deaf and filled with leprosy. All sorts of things were present in those crowds. That was the people Jesus was preaching to. The very first one we see in chapter eight, verse one, is a leper. Verse two, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now think about this. Lepers weren't supposed to be in the crowds. Lepers were supposed to stay in their own crowds outside the city in leper colonies. They were not invited to be around. In fact, if they were to approach a community, even walking down a street, they were to shout out, unclean, unclean. This leper is in misery. He has a condition that is part of sin. Not his sin, but just living in a sinful, broken world. People get cancer. People have heart attacks. People die from all sorts of things because of sin in this world. And sin in this world creates misery. Sometimes that's our own sin that creates that misery. Sometimes it's the sin that's done against us that creates that misery. And sometimes it's just living in a world where there are natural disasters and wars and disease of all sorts. So Jesus hears this man with leprosy. Lord, if you will... Pay attention to that. You can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand. Now, I wonder when the last time this man had been touched. He stretches out his hand, 
and he touches and he says, I will. Jesus is willing. He's willing to show mercy and he's able to heal. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was clean. Next story, verse five. He entered, he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, verse six. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Well, why would he do that? Because he's a God of mercy. He told us to be merciful, and he was merciful. Mercy is compassion plus action. I will come and heal him. Then there's an exchange between the centurion who shows great faith, such great faith that that faith of this centurion astonishes Jesus. Jesus doesn't go to his house. Verse 13, it says, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So imagine that. This centurion had gone to see Jesus to describe the situation. There were others, I'm sure, left back with this paralyzed individual, this servant, when suddenly he's not paralyzed anymore. At the very same moment when Jesus showed his willingness and his power to have mercy. Next story, it says in verse 14, Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So Jesus has touched a leper. He has said, I'm willing, and a paralytic now is not, no longer paralyzed. And now there is this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, who has a fever, and she's very sick. What's it say happens? Verse 15, he, Jesus, once again, his hand, the hand of God, touches her. And immediately the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. I'm going to keep going. This is important. Look with me at what it says at the end of this chapter, at the end of this section. That evening, so he's still in Peter's mother-in-law's house. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. You don't even know what that looks like. Maybe some of you do, if you've been on certain parts of the mission field. But this was real demonic oppression. People who are possessed by demons are frightening people. They are not in control of themselves. And people are bringing the demon possessed to Jesus. And it says he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. Who knows how many people were there, but it's believed that he was up late into the night. Verse 17, it says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. Next, we find him with the disciples. He shows his humanity because he's exhausted. Remember, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. How exhausting must it have been to just touch and heal and deal with so many people? So he's on a boat with the disciples, and they are confronted with a squall, a storm. The storm is so great that it has these professional sailors terrified, and Jesus is asleep. He's sound asleep. He slept soundly because he's a man and he's tired. And they cry out to him, verse 25, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Jesus showed mercy to these men who were terrified, thinking they were going to die. They really believed it. And Jesus 
calms the storm, and then creates a different kind of turmoil within them. Why? Because the man who just saved them, all he had to do was say, be still. And all was calm. So much so that these men say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's a man of mercy. He's a man who has a will to heal and who has the ability. We move into the end of chapter eight. And Jesus is confronted by two men with many, 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 many demons. Have you ever had mercy even in reading the gospel on these demoniacs? Can you imagine the horror of their daily life? Can you imagine their families who simply had to let them go? Can you imagine the physical torment they lived through trying to get whatever's inside them out of their mind? There were no counselors. There was no medicine. They simply were cast out and people were terrified of them. The demons are the ones to speak to Jesus first. And ultimately the demons asked to be cast into the pigs and they were. Jesus had mercy on the men, on the demoniacs. Now chapter nine, behold some people brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. First thing Jesus says to him is your sins are forgiven. He goes on to say, but so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. The man carried on a bed is now likely carrying his stretcher home. Or maybe he just left it there. I don't remember what happens. He's walking though. And people saw it. Why? Because the man of mercy showed mercy. He didn't just feel it. He showed it. Next, you see another story. It's a story of a ruler who comes and kneels before Jesus. This is in 1018. And he says to Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. There are members of our church who have known what it means to lose a child. They understand with empathy the pain that this ruler was experiencing. Yet in desperation, he comes to Jesus. Jesus is willing and he is able. But on the way to her house, he's touched by a woman who's been bleeding 12 years. No one's been able to help her, not one. Jesus' mercy is so great that just as she touches him, power goes out of him because he's willing and he's able and she stops bleeding, she's healed. He recognizes it and speaks to her and shows her mercy even in his words. Then he moves towards the daughter, verse 25. When the crowd had been put outside, the crowd that mocked him, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report went through all the district. One more. The last miracle, second to last miracle in chapter 10. We're on chapter 9. We're just in chapter 9. It's two blind men. Verse 27. Listen to what happens. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud. Listen to what they cry. Have mercy on us, son of David. They're not saying, feel sorry for us. Give us some coins. 
They're saying, have mercy. Let your pity turn to action. Have the will to heal us because we've heard you have the power. Have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, the hand of God. He touched their eyes. saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. They could see. What was it like to look at that hand that touched you? To look into the eyes of the man who had the will and the ability to show mercy. Matthew ends chapter nine with these words. And oh, how they connect to us. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But his ministry wasn't just teaching. It wasn't just proclamation. And healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. To do what? To be merciful. To go out into these ripe fields where people are in misery because of sin, where people are blind because of sin, where people think horrific things are true because of sin. Go out and be merciful. Be merciful. Have compassion. On who? On all. On all. God has placed you in schools, in neighborhoods, in families, in places of work and hobby and recreation. He'll put you next to people in line at the grocery store or have a waiter or waitress take care of you. Every person you see and every person you meet without exception has been impacted by sin, their own sin, sin done against them, and just living in a sinful world. For all who are in Christ, we have the profound privilege of being merciful, of seeing a need. And because of who we are in Christ, having the ability to hold him out to them but do we have the will? God gives us the ability and he also gives us the will. There's no other way. The Beatitudes are so hard on purpose so that nobody could ever walk away saying, I'm gonna go do that. 
I'm going to do that in my own strength. They're so hard that in each case, they take us back to the very first one. I'm poor in spirit. I mourn my sin. This side of heaven, I still sin. It makes me meek. And it makes me want to be even meeker. It makes me hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be right with God in every part of my life. And have you seen what Jesus is doing? Those first four Beatitudes speak of our vertical relationship with God. Before this holy God, I am poor in spirit. I'm mourning myself. I'm meek. I'm hungering and thirsting to be right with him. He in Christ has made me right. Now, with that mercy that's been shown to me, I send it out. And I send it out not by just saying, that makes me sad. I'll pray for them. He sends me out to be merciful, which is compassion plus action. Jesus showed us the formula. He is the formula. He was able and he was willing. So in every case, when we see someone suffering from the misery of sin, no matter who they are, believer, unbeliever, blind, not blind, we show mercy, which is pity plus action. Next Sunday, we're gonna be looking at the second aspect of mercy, which is about forgiveness. To prepare for that, I wanna ask you to do something. I thought I would get further today than I did. I'm where God wanted us to be. Going through Matthew eight and nine is really powerful. But I wanna ask you to go to another story. To me, outside of the cross, it's the greatest picture of mercy in the Bible, and it's a parable. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go there. Then also go to the chapter in Acts, chapter seven, and listen to Stephen's speech. And then listen to what happens to Stephen. And then listen to Stephen's final words before he dies. Because there you begin to see the power of mercy extended to us, new every morning. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. Extended to others, even those who hate us. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for mercy. Even today, just taking a bit of a bath in that word, saturating our souls to understand more fully what it means to be loved by you, called by you, empowered by you. So Lord, give us eyes to see, first to see your mercy for us, and then eyes to see those who are living in the misery of sin, that we might hold out to them Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, if today we come to this place and we feel overwhelmed and burdened by our own sin, would you show us your mercy even now? 
And maybe, Lord, today there's one or two or three or 10 here who don't yet know you and have never received that mercy. Friend, if that's you and you want to know what we're talking about, simply pray for Christ to reveal himself to you, rest in him alone for salvation, confess your sins, and then tell someone that you came with that you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation. This we pray in your holy name, Christ. Amen. Let's stand.